Hello, dear listeners. This is Glenn. And I want to give you a heads up right at the start of this episode. Now, you may already know that I decided to take the podcast in a slightly different direction in 2019, where I focus more on creating a sense of community among like-minded individuals using Patreon as the place to do that. Now, it has been such a great move. It's only been a few weeks, but it's been really immersive, really fun. And I want to invite those of you who are interested to join us on Patreon, where for as little as $1 per episode, capped at whatever monthly limit you set, you can not only be part of what's being developed there, but also help to shape it yourself, as you will hear a bit today on today's episode. Now, what you're going to hear today are the kinds of episodes that you'll regularly get on Patreon, where I've been averaging about two to three episodes per week. So if anything in what you're about to hear today interests you and you want to have a more immersive experience with it, please come and join us. But if you'd rather not and you'd rather just listen to the episodes that I publish here when I publish them here, well... That's okay, too. I'll still throw you some crumbs and some leftovers every now and then. Or, as in today's episode, sometimes I'll deliver an absolute feast. Because I think that today's episode may be the very best episode of Infants on Thrones that I have ever been a part of. Right? Okay, are you ready? Are you sure? All right. Here you go. Enjoy. Now, all this puts the brain basis of perception in a bit of a different line. Instead of perception depending largely on signals coming into the brain from the outside world, it depends as much, if not more, on perceptual predictions flowing in the opposite direction. We don't just passively perceive the world, we actively generate it. We actively generate it. Oh, welcome back to Infant Nursery Hour. You want someone to preach to you? With your host, Glenn Ostland. You want religion, do you? It's sharing time. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. Yeah. You can buy anything this world. Uh-huh. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones. I'm Glenn Osland, and this is a kind of an impromptu sharing time episode. So let me... Uh, I don't know that I really want to complicate what was already kind of a, a, a mishmash of a discussion last night. It was really interesting, and you're going to hear it. But, uh, okay, I'll just go ahead and do it. So, you know, with all of these, these conversations that um, I've been having with friends of mine over the last month or so about the meaning of life, uh, the conversations in, invariably turn towards this idea of God. And I've, I've actually had more conversations and recorded more than you've, you've heard yet. There will be more published. But it's made me think, you know, like, what, what do I think of God? And I've talked about it that, you know, it's just hard for me to even use the word God because it doesn't mean to me anymore what it used to mean. But I think I've settled on something that I feel more comfortable with. So when I hear other people saying God or talking about God, whatever background they've been doing, like I've been listening to, um, you know, I, I don't listen regularly to the Liturgist podcast, but they've done a couple that I've really liked. Um, you may remember a year or so ago, there was one on spiral dynamics. Uh, they, they did one on the Enneagram, which is kind of like a personality type 
thing that I, I want to explore more. I find it really interesting. But, you know, the thing is, these people uh, in the liturgist, they're very Christian. Uh, it's, it's a Christian ministry that I think produces a series of podcasts that the liturgist is one of them. And anyway, uh, I, so it's, it's, it's hard for me when I'm listening to them and they're talking about God. I have this knee-jerk reaction that's like, eh, I don't want to hear you talk about God. I don't want to hear you talk about God. People that talked about God in my background and past, they used it against me. And now I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear people that talk, you know, that's my reaction. You might have a similar one. But I think I've, I've settled on something that I substitute this word for God. And um, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there in a second. <laughs> and that's not really what this episode is about. I just want to share it with you. And then it might color the way that you hear what this conversation was last night, because it colored the way that I heard it as I was participating in it. But um, so if you remember back to the meaning of life episode with Matt and Colton and Brad, Matt talked about life, that God was life. And I really like that, like it a lot. And then I thought about it more, some of the things that Brady said when we were talking, some of the things that other people have said about it. And I'm like, yeah, well, so there's more to existence than death. And don't get crazy on me. All I mean by that is that when I die, the world doesn't stop. Okay, so if we're saying that once we die, uh, you know, then it's all oblivion. That's just from this perspective, from my perspective, right? That then then it's oblivion. But even the 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 atoms in my body, they just disintegrate. They go off. They do other things. They 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 have their their fun. Whatever they do, <laughs> who knows? But that it's that consciousness, that awareness, that whatever it is that is, I think is me, is what's gone with death. But there's stuff still goes on. The universe is still there. The planet is still there. Even when this earth explodes, the, there will be other solar systems, other galaxies. You know, existence continues. So it, it seemed to me that there must be more than just life. There's life and death and whatever is whatever else there is. And we, we have limits on our perception. I certainly have limits on mine. And I can't think that something that's on the other side of what I'm able to perceive doesn't exist. I just can't tell that it's there. So here's the word that I settled on, that, that God is everything, everything. The things that I'm aware of and the things that I'm not. And in that ratio, the things that I'm aware of is minuscule. And the things that I'm not aware of are massive. So now when I hear people say God, I substitute the word everything for that. So I submit that to you, just sharing my own thought processes, see what you do with that. So let me tell you a little bit about this conversation last night, because it came very uh, impromptu. It was just this impromptu conversation. You know, you've... I'm hope that you've noticed that the last couple of days I've put these polls up on Patreon about lies and lying, you know, the, this discussion that came up in my conversation with Brady recently. And I've just been thinking about it a lot. And so, I don't know, maybe like 5.30, 6 p.m. yesterday, I, I texted Brady. I'm like, you want to you just get on and talk about it more tonight? Because we had been texting back and forth, and he sent me this uh, thing uh, about Plato and the Republic 
where he talked about lies or like the the lie of the soul is how Plato uh, put it. I'll, I'll put the link for that uh, on the Patreon episode if anybody's interested in reading it. And uh, then also there was a, a, a YouTube TED Talk with Anel Seth, and that's who you heard in the intro. And you're going to hear more from him today about... Uh, how our brains hallucinate reality. It's this real interesting idea. And then someone else uh, on Patreon posted that same link. And it's something I had watched maybe a year ago. So I went and I rewatched that. I was just having all these thoughts. I'm like, "Eh, let's talk about it. So, um, and and then I saw that Tom had posted something on Facebook about that event that happened, uh, you know, in Washington, DC with the Native American and then the Catholic high school kids and, um, and, and I owed Tom a conversation because last week, last week, um, when, uh, the, the Mike Norton stuff came out about the, you know, filming lesbian porn in a temple, I just, I just thought that was such a lame move and, um, you know, scrambled to get a panel together uh, to have a discussion about it. And then, and then I just, I changed my mind, quite changeable. And I canceled it at the last minute. So I felt bad. Like I'd got Tom all excited to talk about it. <laughs> and then I pulled the rug out from under him. And he's like, is there still somebody to talk about this with? I want to talk about this. So I'm like, oh, okay. But I, uh, so I felt like I owed Tom a conversation. I hadn't talked with Tom for a long time. And I, um, I, I was curious to know more about this situation that happened in D.C. because I've seen a little bit about it, but not much. And I just wanted to hear what Tom thought, too. So I invited Tom on. And then I'm like, why don't I just put the link on Patreon and invite any Patreon supporters? And at one point, I think we had about 15 people on, which was really cool. And, and a few of you chimed in. Um, so that's what you're going to hear today. And it, it's just kind of disjointed because it's all happening in the moment. So, uh, you know whatever that's that's what this is it's a recorded conversation and i hope you'll enjoy it and uh, i hope this is a sign of things to come and if you'll be patient uh with my changeableness and enthusiasms and when my interests go in these places or not i'd I'd like to invite you to join me on that journey as much as you want um and so in other words we'll do this more often with the kind of impromptu Patreon invites. Um, and uh, so if you're able to join and you want to, that would be awesome. And without any further words, that's not true because there's going to be a lot of words coming up. Here's the conversation for last night. Thanks, Patreon supporters. Because I don't Let's even talk have about to what you're interested in. Yeah. I don't even have to go down the Peru stuff, really. But I don't know if people are. I mean, I'm sure there's people that are interested in this. Quit stuff. worrying about not, what people are interested in. I am not an in. expert. I'm not an expert. Like I'm just learning about it, and so that's that's where I hesitate. Is okay. Well, I, I think I, about I'm not asking you to come on the podcast called Experts on Thrones. <laughs> Infants. Good point. Uh, all right, that's fine by me. I'm just I'm just like this 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 idea of enlightenment. Like you said, that you you really want to be enlightened. Yeah. What what does that mean? Um what does enlightenment? What is enlightenment? Yeah. Like like when you say you want to be enlightenment and what you want to be enlightened, what does that look like to you? 
So are you recording now or no? Yeah, I started. Okay. Yeah, you, if you want me to stop, I'll stop. No, 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 no. That's fine because okay. this is what I think about and this is what I'm interested in. Yeah. And it's what I'm pursuing, honestly. Like it is my goal this year is to really make progress. Um, I, I set a date of like May 5th. If I'm not enlightened <laughs> by May 5th, <laughs> I think Tom's going to Oh, uh, man. Oh, that'd be awesome. Uh, I'm going to uh, send him the... Uh, oh, sweet. That, you know, you know what would be kind of cool is just to like... I could even post this link on Patreon and see if anybody wants to join. Yeah, do like, it. People jump on. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. Um, jump on in the next hour and a half. That'd be yeah. great. Let, let, let's, see. let's see. That's a great idea, man. That's fun. Uh, let me send it to Tom here first. Um. Yeah, this will honestly talking about this stuff too. Will I? I don't often put it out in words because it's mostly something that I'm listening to or learning about on my own. So I'm not speaking about it. So I think you, it'll help me to. You know that enlightenment it. is a lie, right? The concept of enlightenment. Yeah, everything's a lie, right? <laughs> it's, all, it's all. It's all lies. Well, yeah. I mean, basically. <laughs> but see, I think the point of enlightenment is to experience what is, experience reality as close as possible, as close as we're able to without any of the lies, without any story attached to it, without any ideas or concepts attached to it. Um yeah. So I'm going to grab another book that I'll need to use. This is what I've been studying too, is uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. I freaking love Thich Nhat Hanh, man. Have you ever read anything by him? No. That, like, tick, tick, I, I remember you mentioned that the last time that we, yeah. we talked. And it, it, it reminds me of like there was a, there was a cartoon that I saw as, as a kid about like a mongoose that kills a, uh, like Cobra snake. It's like Riki Tiki Ton or something like that. Did, that <laughs> That's that, from the secret of Nim, right? I, I don't know what it's from. I it's just it's like this the secret of Nim. No, I think it's, I think it's its own, its own standalone, standalone thing. But so when you say this guy's name, what is it? Tiki Tiki Ton or something like that? <laughs> tiki, 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 I don't know. I, I can't, I don't remember it. So, um, uh, hey, in honor of Martin Luther King Day a couple of days ago, Thich Nhat Hanh was Thich nominated Hanh. by Martin Luther King Jr. for the Nobel Peace Prize. Did he win it? Last year, actually. Okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know any of this. I, I don't think he won it because all I've heard is that he was nominated. So um, it was during the Vietnam War. But, yeah, he's a... He's a great teacher, really good teacher. Yeah. Um, all right. So I just gave a open invitation to anybody on Patreon. Maybe, maybe we can start planning these things. I don't know if the, you know, like we were doing the Sunday night stuff for a while, but I, Sunday night seems like it's tough for people Yeah. to, to get yeah. on. Um, but this was just like an impromptu thing. So I, you know, the, the, the little debate that we had about, lies i just i keep thinking about it i think it's so interesting lies, lies, 
Lies. You know that song, Rebellion Lies. No, I I know the Thompson Twins. Lies, lies, lies. Yeah. uh but um you know so i posted that poll on patreon um to see if people were team brady or team glenn and you did that bug you when you saw that no not at all i thought it was really good i was i I was a little worried about that (laughs) dude it's really it's really hard to bug me that's it really is like i don't get bothered easily by anything anymore okay cool yeah there were five five people who said Team Brady. A lie is a fiction. Yes. We all tell lies all the time, whether we know it or not. But lies don't have to be all bad. And but they can be bad too, right? Sure. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and 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 you thought that I like misrepresented your position <laughs> there. You're like Glenn Stack the deck. Where what? How how would you phrase Team Brady about the lie? Like what? Oh man. Oh, and let's just set uh, the ground rules right now, so we know like. We're not talking about like, I, I think I'm not talking about like, what is the one true definition of all of these things? It's like, how do you see things? And I'll tell you how I see things. Yeah. And you know, like the conflict there, we can just play with, you know, and just like, oh, yeah, have fun with sure. it. And that's all. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think what it was for me is I've, I've expanded my definition of lies. Like one thing I've, I enjoy, I, I enjoy challenging myself and challenging my thinking. Um, and honestly, that was born in me when I first questioned the church. Mm. Like when I first allowed myself to ask that question, like what if it's not true? Um, I, from that point on, I've learned like, man, I was... I believe Kylo I was Ren wrong. and Trent Blair. Hey guys, you joined the impromptu Patreon <laughs> recording. Hey, we're, we're, we're talking about lies with Brady. So, okay, go keep, keep going, Brady. Sorry to inter- interrupt you. Um, no. So I, I like redefining or looking at my definition of words, right? Mm-hmm. Because words are just a symbol that represent a concept ultimately. Mm-hmm. And so, no, oh, we already lost some, they're already not interested in the idea of lies. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> maybe, um, so uh, just the word lies, I've come to realize that like what I believed was a lie, right? And I've also come to grips with the fact that what I believe now is also my own creation. It's a fiction. It's not something that I apply to other people that I think everyone should live by the way that I believe. Right? And I, you know, my beliefs are, are my own in that way. So they're creations and they, I have found certain beliefs of mine still I have to come back to once I have more information to realize that, Oh man, that's not true. That's a lie that I'm living. It's not, it's not in resonance with truth, right? It's not. So, so I use the term lie a little more liberally, I think in that Mm -hmm. way. But, um, so I recently learned a little more about karma and the idea of what karma actually means. Mm-hmm. And karma is based on intention. And so it's the intention of the action. So now, like an what, action what you... itself is empty of good or bad, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it's all about the intention of some person. If I, if I, uh, whatever, if I lie, right? Let's use lie as the example. So if I lie and I know that I'm lying with the intent to deceive someone, that's bad karma. 
that's going to change me to be more of a liar. In mm. the right. What do you if mean? I lie. Hey, hang on. We got it. We got it. I need to know what you mean when you say karma, because I've heard a lot of different definitions of karma. I need to know what you're referring. Okay. To so, of. so the Buddha redefined what karma meant. The Vedas talked about karma first, which was before Buddhist time. Um, and the Vedas started to be interpreted as this idea. It, it kind of became like Christianity view things where if you do bad things, you create this bad karma that will make it. So when you're reborn in another life, you'll be at a lower station where if you do good things, then it's good karma and you're born into a higher station. Right. And the Buddha came and said, no, that's not, that's that, like supernatural metaphysical interpretation of karma. That's not okay. All right. Right. Which is, which is essentially equivalent to if I do good things, I go to heaven. If I do bad things, I go to hell. Right. It's very dualistic and very simple, simplistic to okay. um, mindset of, of ways of thinking. So what the Buddha said karma is, is it's all based in the intention behind the action mm. so that the actions themselves are empty of good or bad. There's like even murder, I guess, uh, depending on the intention behind it. That's probably a little extreme. But with the example of a lie, if I'm telling a lie with the intent to deceive for my own benefit out of selfishness or out of uh, a negative reason, right, that's going to cause harm or suffering ultimately, that is bad karma and the way karma comes back around isn't that like, oh, the universe is going to do bad things to you. Sure. It's that your own, the karma you create changes you. So if I'm lying with the intent to deceive and I do that over and over again, I, in the long run, maybe in the beginning, I'll question whether I'm going, whether I'm lying, right. Whether I should, but over time, I'm not, I'm going to do it without even questioning because I'm, I'm a liar. Right. So, so I want, I want to, I want to restate and just see that I understand what you're saying. So the, the, because the way the way that I've recently come to understand karma is mainly through Alan Watts and saying that karma just means a doing to, to like to, is an act or doing. And I think what what I'm hearing different from what you're saying is that it is also the intention behind the act or the doing. So the example that you gave of like the intent to tell a lie to deceive for self gain at somebody else's expense is bad karma or in other words, it's bad intention behind that act. Yeah, where, where the opposite, right? Like the opposite would be, for example, me as a missionary, right? I would define my preaching of the gospel as me. I mean, I don't believe those things are true anymore. I believe they were true at the time, so I didn't think I was lying. But are the things that I was saying truth? Is it true? No, it's a, they're lies. It's not truth. If it's not true, it's a lie. But my intention behind it was good. It was to help. It was to serve. It was out of love. It was out of all these good things. And I believe it made me a better person still, even though the lie itself mm -hmm. wasn't true. Do, right? do you, un do you so, understand the problem that I have with using the word lie in even in those kinds I do. of cases? I totally do. And in particular, I think once you personalize it and say, someone who lies is a liar, right? Yeah. Then, then I think that even makes it more clear and i i lean on your side on that way like because a liar is someone who lies intentionally. Yeah. 
And and I, I, I think one of the reasons I'm so sensitive so, of that is just because like I've, I'm becoming so aware of the cost, you know, like just, just the emotional and psychological cost that those of us who walked away from our community did to ourselves, you know, in, 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 in separating ourselves from the tribe. And, and I think that happened long before any of us left the church for those of us who left the church. I mean, e- even to, to swim against the grain and to question things that aren't normally questioned, you're, you're basically putting a scarlet letter on yourself and walking around church that way. And people start seeing you differently and, you know, think things start to change, you know? And, and yeah. Uh, and um, so because I'm so aware that we did that to ourselves um, and that there was a cost that was associated with it. And, and that then we, we tend to tell ourselves these stories that they were the bad ones because they were lying to us. I feel like that has the potential to um, perpetuate internal suffering, you know, by, by yeah. being angry at people for being liars when they really weren't being liars. They just didn't have the same kind of questions. They didn't approach the stories. They didn't approach the cult. They didn't approach these things the way that, that we did. And, and so calling them liars would kind of put this vilify, you know, it, it vilifies them in ways that, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just sensitive to that right now, but yeah. But in like with my definition of that, were they lying? Yes. But was their intent to harm? Yeah. I don't believe so for the most part, right? right? Uh, like, I don't believe so. And so I, I, can, under, I can have understanding because mm-hmm. I've been in the same place. Like, I've converted yeah. people to the LDS church. Lots of people, right? And, and, and so the thing that makes me uncomfortable about it is because the, the words like lie or liar already, I mean, it's so prevalent in the culture that, like, your understanding of it is so nuanced that, like, yeah. we, we, we can talk about it and I go, oh, I can see what you're saying. But, like, in a really quick and dirty this is a lie. That's a liar. It's so easy to misunderstand that and go, Oh, well, that means that somebody's intentionally deceiving and that it's that bad karma. It's that, you know, and then you go, Oh no, no, it doesn't have to be a lie. It's just a fiction. Okay. Well then why not use the word fiction or why not use well, a different word? And that's why that's like, I, I was saying to you, like, I haven't really put my understanding of things into like words and told other people about it. Yeah. But, for, yeah. for me, that understanding of lie helps me to be much more understanding and compassionate towards other people that like I, I can see sometimes I, I can have conversations with people and I can hear the lies that they're telling themselves to mm, protect right. themselves in ways sure. or to avoid pain or to avoid these different things. And I hear the lies. I, I can kind of cut through them a lot clearer. I hear sneezing is what I hear. Yeah, I want to. I think everyone that's popped in is probably like, these guys are still talking about live. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they, they've seen the polls. They, they, they came in. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, and so let's hear, let's hear some other thoughts. Yeah, on, does on does on anybody else want to chime in on this whole lie thing? About anything else? You know what I, what I, what I really want to do, I want to watch this, um, 
YouTube thing and just stop and talk about it. This is the, your brain hallucinates your conscious reality by Anil Seth. And, you know, you sent that link to me, Brady, just as we were texting, somebody else posted it on Patreon as one of the the comments. I had found it from the video you sent me. It was like a follow-up video from that, oh. right? like one of the extra ones. Yeah. And, and I was like, that sounds intriguing. Cause yeah. That's, and I, and I watched that. I mean, I, I've seen it before. I watched it again today and, and, and I, I thought that'd be fun to, to talk about. Cause there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting rabbit holes to go down with that one. Oh yeah. Um, and some of them, he just like glazes over like, yeah, he, he'll like say something and I'm like, that was so much deeper than he let on, honestly. Yeah. Um, even like his last statement that he says about that there's nothing uh, when, when we die, right? Um, and he just kind of ended it with that, nothing. And he said it twice, nothing. And I'm like, huh, I think there's more to that than like that could be a whole TED Talk in and of itself. Yeah. And, I, and I, I've uh, asked Tom if he wants to join. I think he's going to, I think he's going to jump on here. Um, in a couple of minutes, Tom, Tom posted something on Facebook today about that. Um, th- those, those Catholic high school kids that were part of that big, you know, viral news campaign, which I haven't been following closely. I mean, I'm aware of it. I think pretty much anybody, everybody's aware of it with the, the, the encounter in Washington, DC. Was it at the Lincoln Memorial? Do you know what I'm talking about, Brady? Or, or Dude, were, I don't, were, were I don't you meditating them. in your crawl space? <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't been in my crawl space in a couple days. Okay. But, uh, but I've been doing more meditative walks. So, so, so you have no idea what, what this is about? I don't. So that, that might be a good yeah. uh, lead into it. Sometime. Well, I'll, 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 I'll wait for Tom to, to get on if, if he's, if he's going to join us. He said it might be a few minutes. Um, but that, that could be something interesting to talk about too. And um Anyway, uh, what's the core of that? What's at the core of it? Oh, uh, racism, intolerance, and like the power of fictions that support a particular worldview and ideology, essentially. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a a lot of ideology, like there's there's a, a certain interpretation of events that happened that got proliferated really really quickly and a lot of judgment it seems like and then you know people start looking at it from a different direction you go is that really what happened is this really what's going on um and so tom posted a video that's kind of like uh deconstructing what happened and and it was something about somebody who is admitting that they were wrong and uh making an apology and that that's what that's what tom posted on facebook that he really appreciated about it that you know take some somebody takes a big person to admit when they were wrong. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear what, what he has to say about that, but I can't guess it. So let's, let's, uh, let's start with this uh, Ted talk thing and we'll just, if, and, and anybody who's sitting in that wants to, to join in the conversation, you're more than welcome to, if you just want to sit and listen and watch, that's fine too. Um, just, just be cognizant of the sound and, and put yourself on mute um, if you're not going to be talking and, um, yeah, it, it, at any point in this Ted talk, if you want to, to stop it, to talk, just talk and I'll stop it. So, uh, set it up here. All right. So just over a year ago, 
for the third time in my life, I ceased to exist. I was having a small operation. My brain was filling with anesthetic. I remember a sense of detachment and falling apart and coldness. And then I was back. Hang on a second, though. Like, like the way that he said that I ceased to exist. <laughs> For the third time in his life, too. Yeah. Did you catch that? Yeah, the third time in his life he ceased to exist. But, I, you know, like, there, there, I, I love these TED Talks, and I, I love this one, but there's no one to challenge what's being said and to question it. And, like, what do you mean cease to exist? You were still there on the table. You were just unconscious. Oh, what do you think he means? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't. I, I think. I think he's talking about consciousness, which I, I think I he's wanna, talking about like the self. Yeah, maybe. But 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 like, but but what is like ceasing to exist? It seems hyperbolic. It, it like it seems like it, that's a metaphor. That's not literal. It, it seems like he's lying to us, Brady. It seems like it's a lie. <laughs> uh, I don't know though, because I've I've heard a number of people talk about their ceasing to exist as well. So I've, I've had friends that in psychedelic experiences that have ceased to exist as far as a self goes. Um, and then I've also heard a number of like Buddhist teachers talk about non-self and what that means to cease to exist. So like, it depends. So what is it, what does it mean to you then? Uh, like, because I, I kind I, I, I have to reject that as like a literal description because he's still there on the table. He's like, what does it mean to exist? It means to be there, right? <laughs> so he's still there. He's not dead. He's not like his, his body hasn't disintegrated. And, you know, I mean, he's, he's still existing. So saying cease to exist, like the, he's just asleep. He's just in a, you know, he's, he's in a, in a state of uh, unconsciousness with anesthesia i it'd be hard to argue against you on that <laughs> because the doctors were there working on him yeah while he was while he was out so um so yeah tom, tom perry maybe, maybe tom can enlighten us on this <laughs> tom. how are you doing tom you want me to catch you up can you hear me yes yeah and see you all right hi tom I can't smell anything that's going on over there. <laughs> okay, good. Thanks. But I feel you. I don't think you've ceased to exist. That's I, for don't, sure. I don't think Tom has ceased to exist. So, so we, we just started, Tom, watching a, uh, a, a TED Talk um, that's called Your Brain Hallucinates Your Conscious Reality. Have you ever seen this before? Uh, I'm going to say no. Okay. Um, but, but let, let, let's pause this right now, because what, what I was really interested, um, in hearing Tom talk about was the post that you put on Facebook. And I, I mentioned it, um, to, to Brady and to those who were sitting in a little bit and gave them a little bit of background, but I haven't really been following this, um, thing very, very closely. So do you want to set the stage? What, what that whole thing was about that you were responding to? Uh, <laughs> well, I hate politics and I usually don't dip my hand, feet or any other appendage into politics. <laughs> um, this, but, this was this politics. Yeah, this is politics, but okay. here, here's the reason why I, I, you know, I, 
I do listen to news stuff and I do try to kind of keep up with current events. And, uh, I just kind of caught wind of, cause there was a lot of people on social media that were showing this, uh, native American and these, uh, Catholic teenage kids in front of the Lincoln Memorial and, and immediately just the outrage machine went into full force. And, and like, so, so they're white kids and they're wearing, like holding a making the America great again hat. And, and the whole story got skewed. It, it was, it was misinterpreted. It was agenda driven. And it wasn't till like a day or two later that more video footage comes out, more information starts to come out. And now the story really isn't even about that experience because really nothing, well, I shouldn't say nothing happened, but to me, it was so overblown what actually happened. To me, the real story is the fact that the media or I guess the public at large or everybody had to jump to conclusions without all the information, without all the evidence. Everybody had their biases just going into full force. And that to me is the most compelling thing is that people weren't willing to actually try to find out the actual context of what was going on to actually find out what was happening here. Instead, they weren't checking their own biases and their own preconceived notions to find out what really was going on. And then they just, if, if the narrative fit their bias, right. they, and then after all this stuff sort of starts to fall out, and to me, this is politically neutral, in, in my opinion. You guys can call me out on it if you think that I'm not. But the fact is, is this was such a good representation of someone or the main media and other people that did something where they jumped to conclusions and they were not 100% wrong, but they were quite wrong in, in their uh, conclusions and what they touted. Now, now, one one of the things that I think was was reported early on is that these these white teenage kids, in response to seeing this Native American that was pounding a drum at them, that they were saying, "Build the wall, build the wall, build the wall." Right. That, that didn't happen. Right, but I mean that was that was an initial report, and that was one of the things that fueled the yeah. the outrage and, yeah, and the, the Native American the political, political lines. Go ahead the one that said afterwards he was interviewed and he was the one that said that there was chanting build the wall build the wall and there's no audio or video footage of that happening at all mm. so yeah yeah and so so what like i started to watch the the youtube video that you posted is, is it just describing what happened or because because what you wrote was something about people uh being able to say that they're sorry when they're wrong yeah because this this commentator, this YouTube commentator, Matt Christensen, um, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, he does such a beautiful job of showing how so many media outlets and journalists and, and people on Twitter jumped to conclusions and then didn't actually wait till more of the information evidence came out. And he systematically breaks down how the story kind of came out and then how many people got it wrong. And I thought he did a fantastic job. So do you want to watch it? Sure. And comment on it. All right, let's do that. And what's, what's, what's funny. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that the, the, you know, we, we can watch this one and then we'll watch this other Ted video 
that they might seem at the surface like they're two completely different topics. But actually, I bet that they are more related than you would think at, at, at just on the surface level. So, so let's see what you know this what guy the has connection to is to Glenn. What lies? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> lies and perception and not having the full truth and react. You know, like the the um, <laughs> that, that we're all hallucinating. Like our reality is a hallucination. One of the things that this guy says in in the. Analogy. Hallucination. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. That. That. Um, when. When a bunch of people agree on their hallucinations, that's called reality. That's one of the things he says in this TED talk. So it's interesting then to, to look at this thing that just recently happened in society where kids are saying, "Build the wall. Build the wall. Build the wall." Did that really happen, or is that a shared hallucination that people are agreeing on? And and so that becomes the reality. You know. Anyway, let let let's listen to what this guy says. The ongoing story of the boys from Covington Catholic High School and their- that voice does not match his face at all, does it? <laughs> That's your first comment. Yeah, the, that, that was that was my first thought when I looked at this. So I'm like, wow, that he's got a face for radio, Glenn. That's- no, he's got no, he's got a great. I mean, he's got a great. I'm not saying he looks bad at all. It's just like his his voice is so like polished and I don't know. He just looks like a dude alleged bullying and harassment of a Native American man at the Lincoln Memorial is one of the worst cases of media malfeasance I've ever seen. Or maybe just cultural malfeasance. It's been everybody from news agencies to politicians to celebrities attacking these children based on a narrative that's a complete and total lie. They said these kids surrounded the Native American man. They didn't he approached them. They said the boys taunted this guy on racial terms. The best I can do for that claim is there was some tomahawk chopping that's more sensibly explained by juveniles being juvenile when confronted by a man for unknown reasons. And if you care about racial harassment, perhaps you ought to care more about the much more explicit racial harassment the boys themselves received. Who the hell is you see a cracker with Make America Great hand on? Yeah, use a cracker. They said these kids chanted, build the wall, and no such thing ever happened, but repeat a lie often enough and people will believe it. And I saw not just public figures repeating these lies, but personal friends I can vouch for as otherwise intelligent people, spreading this factually inaccurate outrage in a total willingness to pile on children in order to satisfy their own personal hunger for political righteousness. I'm not a big fan of emotional arguments, but genuinely, it was sick. We're at the point where people prioritize their rabid politics over not just basic fact-finding, but even over common decency to children. They will ruin kids' lives if it helps to preserve their worldview, and they'll do it all while claiming moral superiority over the rest of us. Do, 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 uh, what do you think about that, Tom? I mean, do you agree with what he's saying? And if so, do you think that what's going on, like the this is an intentional choice that people are making that like, I'm going to vilify these kids so that I can preserve my worldview. Yeah, I do think that both, both of those that you think it's intentional. Yeah. That word intentional. It's as you're talking about, I'm thinking, okay, they are reactionary. A lot of these people are, but they made conscious decisions that got them to this point where that they can be reactionary like this, jump to conclusions. So yes, 
I mean, I might be pointing the finger like two or three steps before where, where this reactionary thing that's happening within them. But yeah, I, I still think it's a choice and it's, is it, yeah. Does that answer your question? Well, I, I'm just curious to know what you think about it. So yeah. Glenn, that kind of, what, what you said there, Tom was kind of related to the whole karma thing we were talking about earlier, Glenn, that mm-hmm. these people have made choices of like pursuing their ideology time and time again, that now they're at the point where they don't think twice about fact finding, because if it supports their narrative and their ideology, they're going to push it. What, why did they have the ideology in the first place? Because it supports a worldview that they want to. And where, and how, why did they have the worldview? Cause it's rampant right now in, in the world. Ideology is incredibly okay. rampant in the world. It's, it's all extremism or there's a lot of extremism. It's not all. And, and I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, when he cut to that clip of, um, I don't know what some might call reverse racism where they're saying, Oh, look at these cracker kids, get those make That's America hats off. Yeah, sure. You know, or, or go back to Europe was one of the things that I heard in there. I mean, that, that to me sounds like it's coming out of a place of very real pain, um, from th- things that they've experienced in their life. Um, like injustices that they've experienced over and over and over again. And I, I think when, when I, I think that's what forms the, their worldview and that ideology and can get, I don't know, help me understand why it helps me understand why there's that emotional reaction to these things that maybe aren't warranted. These kids aren't the ones that did the harm in the past. That's actual real harm, but now they're becoming like the scapegoats for them you know, and, and maybe it's unfair, but there's still that there's, there's, there's still something there that, um, I'm not totally comfortable, uh, dismissing away as that they're just going to promote their ideology at any cost. Is that, you kind of lost me. I mean, you, okay. in a way, a little bit earlier, you sounded like you were, I don't know, trying to understand the people that were being racist towards the white teenagers, I guess. Yeah. You're saying, but to me, it's like, are you, why would you try to do that? Cause it sounds like you're kind of getting to a place where you might be justifying that behavior. Yeah, maybe No, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, you know, justifying means that I, I think there's, I think there's a difference between understanding why somebody does something and then saying it's okay. And I, I'm just trying to understand where where they're coming from, and it's it's very like the righteous mind Jonathan Haidt stuff, you know that that there's this this elephant emotional response that is charging in in response to something, and then you've got these post hoc narratives and the writers trying to control things and say here's what's going on, and it's usually wrong. Those, those stories that we're telling ourselves are usually wrong. And that, that's where I think it comes in with the lies and things that we've been talking about on, on that and Brady. And, and so I, I just, I, I, I don't want, I, I don't want my reaction to it to be that, I guess. So I, I, I'm just, yeah. Wondering, just curious. I just want to point out this guy's got a great fish face. That's pretty good. It looks like he's getting ready to whistle. <laughs> 
All right. I'll go, I'll go back to this. We'll see if we go. What a time to be alive. And of course, this recklessness is not without consequence. There's been harassment. There's been doxing. There have been threats so significant that Covington is closed to start the school week. So we're now going to pause the education of all of the kids at this school because the peaceful, tolerant left made up a story to quench its own outrage thirst. Every week needs a new target and a new sacrifice. So this week, Covington gets to be the Jurassic Park goat to the progressive T-Rex, regardless of whether the facts support the carnage or not. As the information has emerged, however, I have seen a split between people of honesty and integrity, people who actually care about the truth and about facts and about evidence, and people who are just out to preserve the narrative at all costs. For the people who let the emotion of the initial scene over the weekend get the best of them and cause them to pass judgment too early, but apologize later after the full fact pattern was available, I have less concern. Don't get me wrong, it's not good, even if you gently or indirectly contribute to an unjust pylon, you're still contributing to the pylon, but these people made a mistake and corrected their statements when confronted with additional information. That's really all I can ask of a person, and that's the only standard to which I can hold myself. Since I've been in a similar situation many times before, and I'm sure I will be again soon. But the other side of this... What, 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 what did he just say? What was he, what was, cause it seems like that was the part, Tom, that you were highlighting in your post that you really appreciated. Am I reading yeah. that right? Yeah, because he, he showed uh, Twitter posts of people, I, I'm assuming they're journalists and whatever. I saw Jamie Lee Curtis was one of them, but they, they went pretty quickly. Yeah. The, but anyway, people that kind of jumped on the bandwagon of this narrative that these white teenagers were being racist against this native American elder. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the story at all. And some of them did apologize and retract their statements and say with new information, I I've got to backpedal. Yeah. That's what Matt here saying is, you know, I've been in those circumstances. I've had to, you know, with new information, I've had to revise my statements and kind of backpedal, but, you know, what can you do? We're all human. We all make mistakes. Yeah. So it's, it's not that you can't curb that, that reaction, that instinct that you have to say something that, you know, if you're going to jump to conclusions and you're just going to connect dots that really aren't there. But if you get them, if you get the additional information, can you go back and say, okay, yeah, I, I think I might've jumped the gun on this and then revise your statement to me that, that deserves a lot of praise and respect. Mm -hmm. that, yeah. It doesn't actually happen all that often, even in this situation. Yeah. Okay. Is, is there more to this video? Because uh, I haven't watched it that we, we should watch or that you won't think would be um, important. He, he actually goes after Snopes a little bit, which was, uh, I thought that was kind of daring, but. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll, I'll keep going. It is descending to even more shameful depths, doubling down, grasping for new straws of evidence, all so that the political narrative can be upheld at the expense of everything else. Truth and basic decency be damned. Take, for example, this Deadspin article published late Monday after the full information of the incident was widely available. We gotta toss all the other news organizations under the bus for acknowledging that new information, ironically ripping them as not objective for such 
a gesture. How dare they present the complete information to the reader? After all, these kids still committed the sin of being white and doing the tomahawk chop. I didn't realize making that gesture was a crime, let alone in juvenile court. But if so, you better get to arresting all of those Chiefs and Braves fans, too. Yeah, that, that makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> It, it's it it seems it seems like he it's just he's it's pretty dismissive of you know like how offensive it actually can be. It's like well look at all these other people do it in this completely different context than the one that people were responding to when there was an overreaction to it. And so sure the context is that different? I, it it seems like it to me. Well, I mean, the context is different, especially, and I, I feel like a lot of people keep losing this part. These are teenagers, man. We're talking about 15, 16-year-old teenagers. Yeah. I mean, can, can we really hold them to like an adult standard? I don't know, man. I, I definitely don't think we can. I mean, they're freaking teenagers. If you've if, if you ever been around teenagers, I, I have a hard time believing that. And Joe Rogan talked, talked about this case as well. And he said, man, when I, was a, when I was 16, I thought I was the smartest kid on the planet, but I was this dumb, cocky son of a bitch. Yeah. You know, we all were when we were that age. Yeah. Thinking we knew everything, thought we were tougher than everybody else, thinking we were cocky. And that's what that kid, that, that uh, white teenager that had that smug look on his face who kind of just stared down the native American. I really, I mean, he didn't do anything except for just stand there and smirk. But so many people have, have really, you know, uh, social media justice warriors have, have crucified this guy. Yeah. Well, and I, I think also from the little footage that it showed, which I didn't get to obviously see the, the extended footage of everything, but from, the actual racial slurs that the native Americans were throwing out at these kids, like that wasn't a very hostile response from, from a teenager too. like, it, it wasn't for, for, for the, for the kid to just stand there still and smirk. Is that what you're saying? It wasn't very hostile for him to do that. Yeah. And, and even the tomahawk thing, like would I do the tomahawk thing? No, but I'm 35, right. Would I have done it when I was 16? Possibly really yeah. just knowing myself and, the idiocy and the stupid things that I did anyway. But especially if I, if someone was in my face throwing out racial slurs at me, like go back to Europe and other things like those are, those are pretty harsh and it was a lot more hostile in the way that they said them too. So I think if anything, I don't know, there was a lot more hostility on, on the native American side. And I, I understand what you're saying too, of where that comes from, but it's being misdirected completely right like take that energy if you're if you're angry at all at all of the the wrong things that have, the wrongs that you've done or that have been done to you and your ancestors you don't take it out on a bunch of teenage kids you know yeah. uh, just for clarification reasons I, I it wasn't the native americans that were doing the racial slurs it was these black israelites or these black muslims that were also there as their own group they were the ones that were um, extremely derogatory and divisive yelling at the white teenager. Awesome. That yeah. clarification was important because it wasn't clear in the video f- yeah. clips. I don't think that he showed. Yeah. Well, what, what, what's your main takeaway from, from this whole thing, Tom? <laughs> well, I couldn't help but just think of how many times we're all wrong about everything about so yeah. many. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. we, make, we make 
judgment calls a little too early without doing our due diligence and checking on things and, and just, I don't know, taking a breath before you react and then kind of, I don't know, context matters, obviously, but also understanding um, what's going on. And, and if you watch a four minute clip, maybe just maybe um, there might be some more information that you should gather before you let that guttural instinct take you to that, that next leap that might just be where you're falling in, where you're putting a narrative together that's just highlighting your bias rather than showing something factual. And that, that infuriates me. And yeah, of course, this is drawing parallels to Mormonism, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and that's what I love about Matt, where he, he goes on saying that when people are stuck in, in this worldview, it doesn't really matter what kind of information comes out. It doesn't even matter how factual the information comes out. It doesn't even matter how realistic it is. If they're going to double down, they're going to double down, they're going to double down because they've already committed. They've already put all their chips on this. And, and he goes on to explain a little bit more about these kind of grasping at straw tactics that some of these people are doing because it's like, Hey, no, I've already vilified these white teenagers and yeah. Okay. Maybe there's, you know, contrary evidence coming to light, but you know what? Screw it. I've already invested too much in this. So I'm going to double down uh, until it's too late. Well, not even that it's too late. They're just going to, they're just going to hold on to that no matter what, you know? And to me, it's just infuriating to see this happen to people that not once can they take a step back and say, all right, I'm going to practice some self-awareness. I'm going to actually see and judge this out. Could I be wrong? Could I? Mm-hmm. Could I be wrong? And that's what people need to ask themselves way more often. And, and it's not happening. And it's, it's transcends religious po- politics, all that stuff. People just need to sit back and say, could I be wrong in my assessment here? Could I be wrong in my biases here? Am I constructing a narrative that might be not completely factual or correct because if if that's true then i need to fix it you know i because don't we all want to be kind of right i think we do i think we want the most information we can we want all the evidence we can to line it up so that we can at least be on the pathway to the most truth possible but before you got on I, i think before most people that are watching got on brady and i were talking about uh this idea of enlightenment and Brady was saying that that's, you know, really important to him and something that he wants. And I asked him, what do you mean? What, like, what is enlightenment? I, I think I heard pieces of what enlightenment is in what you were just describing, Tom. You know, that, that, that enlightenment, or at least some, some form of enlightenment could be if you're able to get to that place where you can push pause on the emotional reaction long enough to take into consideration other things that are going on and, and then make the right choice kind of sit in that space of peace and serenity. You call that enlightenment? I I think it's, I, 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 I'm, I'm asking the question. So what I, what I was talking about with it and my understanding of it um, is that enlightenment is essentially experiencing reality as it is. It's waking up from the stories that are right. perpetually happening, that we're perpetually creating with our minds. Uh-huh. And it's waking up from those, casting them aside or, or cutting through them in a way, right? To actually touch 
reality as it is, experience it as it is. It's yeah. not even really a thought process. It's an experiential process. So there's definitely parallels in it. And I, I work in the education industry and the last company that I worked for had a big focus on teaching critical thinking in middle, middle and high school. And I'll tell you, man, it, it's so, so difficult to teach people how to think critically it, because one, most teachers don't think critically themselves, right? But checking our own biases is critical thinking. Thinking, what if I'm wrong on this, is critical thinking. We're thinking about our own thinking. And the vast majority of human beings on our planet are not critical thinkers um, as a majority. Uh, I think it's growing, and I think there's more and more critical thinking happening because more information is accessible, more, more people are interested in it, and learning more. And learning leads to critical thinking because the best way to learn is to be questioning the way that you're viewing things. That's, that's really brilliant. And I think you're right that the vast majority of people are not critical thinkers. And I think, I think there's something special that comes from people who have experienced a crisis of faith where they've really looked, you know, deep into their soul and realized I was wrong about something very, very substantial in my life. Mm -hmm. I was wrong about everything, man. (laughs) It it was everything to me. It was the way I viewed the world and it was wrong. Yeah. I had to admit it, you know, yeah, I had to, I had to do a 180 on my life. That that's a tough, that's not just tough. Sorry. That's for a lot of people, it's impossible to do that. And for some of us that actually do grab the will and turn into the abyss of the unknown, it's, it's incredibly difficult. And, and that's the thing is like one of the benefits or side effects of, of going down that path is like, okay, I was wrong about something that big, something that important there's a high probability I'm going to be wrong about little things, little, little things that just pop up. And so I'm always, you know, my mind's always like on high alert. Like, am am I wrong about this? I need to double check on this, or I need to do some due diligence on this. So when people ask my opinion, I'm like, I don't have all the information yet. (laughs) It's like, I'm not comfortable making What an honest response though. Like that's, Instead of just bullshitting, right? Instead of saying, based on the limited information I have, this is the way it is, (laughs) which is ideology, essentially, right? Instead of that, you're saying, I don't have all the information yet. And if it's a topic you're interested in, let, let let me take some time to dive into this and figure it out. Or I'll often say, I don't have all the information on that. And quite frankly, it's not something I'm passionate about. Like, it's not something I even feel I need to pass judgment on or, or consider because it's affecting other people, but I, I'm focused on something else right now that I'm investigating. Well, and, and it's even honest to say I've watched one YouTube video or I watched, or I read one article on this. So I'm very uninformed on this, but just on that, this is, if you really want to know what I'm thinking on it, this is my reaction. Right. If you get that qualifier, at least the person's like, Oh, okay. So we're talking about a very naive situation and naive, naive, perspective here and he self-admitted that then that's great that's honest i think so yeah i want to go back to tom to what you were saying about like the effect that leaving the church has had because i i was expressing that to glenn and or at the start of this call um that that was just it was a pivotal change in me man like it it was it was a turning point and just like life 
completely shifted in the way that I view things. And it's, it took me a while to actually come back to again, question my worldview, right? Because I like swung on a pendulum to being more agnostic atheist. And, and I thought that that was right, right in that way. But then I had to, again, question myself. And so I'm just constantly like, I feel like a little bit of a pinball kind of back and forth testing the limits of different ideas, testing the limits of different practices, things that help me and make me a better person. Cause that's my goal is I, I want to live life. Well, like that's really my core goal is I want to, I'm going to live life. Well, I want to be a good person and define that as you may. But in order to do that, I have, I have to constantly be evaluating myself. And so coming back, um, like I think too often as ex Mormons, we fall into the trap of blaming the church of, of vilifying the church and people in the church, especially the members of the church who really just don't understand and they can't comprehend what we've been through also because they've never been through it. And so even learning to question and being like, can I be more compassionate? Can I be more understanding towards the members of the church? Right. And can I, can I actually see the good in the church again um, while still also seeing the reality of it? Right. Um, Right. And, and so acknowledging that and, and acknowledging, uh, I, it's taken me a long time to get back to the place where I can be like, you know what, there is, there is good there. Um, but there's, there's also harm, right. And, it, and you have to decide whether for, I think people should decide whether it's a net negative or a net positive for them too. For some yeah. people, I feel it is a net positive. And so I'm not going to try to mess up their world until they come across things that, <laughs> Until they take their own path, right? Hopefully, uh, well, whatever that may be. So, that's I got a little into the weeds there. But m- my point was: question ourselves, question the way that we're looking, even at the things that really bother us, right? Right. And, and I think it's so healthy to have that perspective that you don't know it all. <laughs> In fact, you probably don't like. You, you probably don't really have any of it figured out. You know, like we're whether you say that we're always lying to ourselves or, you know, that we just don't have the complete picture of other people or ourselves or just the the full picture of everything coming from that place of humility, I, I think would make it easier to get into that place. You were talking about Tom, where instead of just reacting, when you see this thing that outrages you, you're like, okay, there's gotta be something here that I'm missing. Let me, let me calm down a little bit. Um, anyway, I think that's the point of mindfulness too. like, not the cliche mindfulness that's popular, but like mindfulness, the whole point is learning instead of reacting to a stimuli, you can actually find a space between the stimuli and your response. So you can respond to a stimuli, right? You can respond to something that triggers you rather than react to that thing that triggers you. And, and, um, on, on, on that note, let's jump back over here to your brain hallucinates your conscious reality. Um, we, we only got a couple of seconds into it. He, he said that there have been three times in his life where he ceased to exist. And I started nitpicking on his <laughs> choice of words, <laughs> uh, but he, he was talking about, uh, going under anesthesia, uh, anesthesia for, uh, an operation. Lousy and disoriented, but, but definitely there. Now, when you wake from a deep sleep, you might feel confused about the time or anxious about oversleeping, but there's always a basic sense 
of time having passed, of a continuity between then and now. And coming around from anesthesia is very different. I could have been under for five minutes, five hours, five years, or even 50 years. I simply wasn't there. It was total oblivion. Anesthesia, it's a modern kind of magic. It turns people into objects, and then we hope back again into people. And in this process is one of the greatest remaining mysteries in science and philosophy. How does consciousness happen? Somehow, within each of our brains, the combined activity of many billions of neurons, each one a tiny biological machine, is generating a conscious experience. And not just any conscious experience, your conscious experience right here and right now. How does this happen? Uh, what, 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 what do you think he means when he's talking about consciousness? Like, how do you interpret that word? Just our self-awareness, right? Yeah, I think, I, I think the, awareness, yeah. I was Googling this guy, so I, I actually missed the context of what he said. Well, he's just talking about con- uh, the, the consciousness is one of the greatest mysteries in science and philosophy, and we've got these billions of neurons each one of them is a little tiny machine and it's the interaction of all of these things that generates this thing that's consciousness and he's going to go on and talk about different types of consciousness in here but i just wanted to you know pause right here and say like what what do we think when we hear that word consciousness because i hear it a lot um and, and i'm not always quite sure what it what it is or what i even think about that and i was curious what you guys think do you have a definition of consciousness thing glenn i i like i like awareness i mean i and, mm-hmm. and I, I think self-awareness is a type of awareness i think he, he he talks about world awareness he talks about different kinds of, of awareness or different kinds of consciousness but to be conscious con you know the 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 reason i was nitpicking over what he said about i ceased to exist you know while he was under anesthesia i'm like well he's still existing but you know the point that he made here about like he wasn't aware of time passing. He just was kind of like checked out. I, I really liked what he said about how this, you know, as the anesthesia turns you from being like a living person into an object and then boom, you're back. Like, what is that? What is that thing that's back? And what's the difference between the body that's just laying there without, you know, feeling the pain or anything. And then when you're brought back, um, what, what well, has I happened? Think that's, there? I think that's similar also to, I mean, I've been to a number of funerals. I went to a few last year and seeing a body in a casket, like a body is an object. Sure. There is no life in it. There's, there's no, and I think what's missing is consciousness, right? In that body. And so uh, I, I do agree that consciousness is awareness. Um, but awareness of what? is a question that I would ask. Right. And, or or even uh, just the ability to be aware of anything. Yeah. Um, uh, and aware of, of really stimuli is that's, that's all we can be aware of. Even our thoughts are stimuli. Like they're, they're sensations. Thoughts are essentially sensations when it comes down to it. Mm -hmm. Um, because we aren't generating thoughts. They come into our mind. Where are they coming from? Right. What, and they're triggered most often by stimuli. And so you really have like sensory touch and something I, so I like thinking about this stuff, man. Um, I know. That's, really that's why I wanted to have a conversation with you. All of our senses. Not because are, you're Billy and 4C. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, man, you're such a fanboy. <laughs> that's that's the whole whole reason we're having the conversation, so I can fanboy over you. <laughs> um, really, like all of our sense, all of our senses are a form of touch, of a type of wave, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, physical touch is obviously touch. We're we're touching the waveforms of the objects that we're actually touching. Um, sight is the touch of light reflecting off of an object and then touching our retina right sound is the touch of the sound waves on the cilia in our ear um so all of and smell the same thing um thoughts i haven't i haven't considered that because it was just something i listened today that talked about thoughts being sensations and i was like that really clicked with me um but uh, essentially awareness is just the perception of sensory input and what we create with that it's it's the stories that our minds create with that and i I like where he goes with this too Mm -hmm. as far as like the brain being inside of our skull Mm -hmm. are we really seeing anything right we're just receiving sensory input and then our brains create the reality based off of that yeah anyway we'll get into that all right Well, answering this question is so important because consciousness for each of us is all there is. Without it, there's no world, there's no self, there's nothing at all. And when we suffer, we suffer consciously, whether it's through mental illness or pain. See, substituting the word awareness for consciousness makes me accept what he's saying better. Because, you know, like if I think about if, if he's... Or, or, or maybe even that experience of him being under anesthesia when he's just checked out, he's not there. There is no world. I mean, there is. The world goes on around it. But as far as he's perceiving it, his ability to be aware of it, there's nothing. So that I think that's, that's why the awareness helps me kind of accept that, what he's saying a little bit better. And if we can experience joy and suffering, what about other animals? Might they be conscious too? Do they also have a sense of self? And as computers get faster and smarter, maybe there'll come a point, maybe not too far away, when my iPhone develops a sense of its own existence. Now, I actually think the prospects for a conscious AI are pretty remote. And I think this because my research is telling me that consciousness has less to do with pure intelligence and more to do with our nature as living and breathing organisms. Consciousness and intelligence are very different things. You don't have to be smart to suffer, but you probably do have to be alive. In the story I'm going to tell you, our conscious experiences of the world around us and of ourselves within it are kinds of controlled hallucinations that happen with, through, and because of our living bodies. Now, You might have heard that we know nothing about how the brain and body give rise to consciousness. Some people even say it's beyond the reach of science altogether. But in fact, the last 25 years have seen an explosion of scientific work in this area. If you come to my lab at the University of Sussex, you'll find scientists from all different disciplines, and sometimes even philosophers, all of us together trying to understand how consciousness happens and what happens when it goes wrong. And the strategy is very simple. I'd like you to think about consciousness in the way that we've come to think about life. Now, at one time, people thought the property of being alive could not be explained by physics and chemistry, that life had to be more than just mechanism. But people no longer think that, as biologists got on with the job of explaining the properties of living systems 
in terms of physics and chemistry, things like metabolism, reproduction, homeostasis. The basic mystery of what life is started to fade away, and people didn't propose any more magical solutions, like a force of life or an élan vital. So as with life, so with consciousness. Once we start explaining its properties in terms of things happening inside brains and bodies, the apparently insoluble mystery of what consciousness is should start to fade away. Oh, shit. I think so exists. I was, um, now, you might have seen... I, I, I wanted to so pause that there. Let's get, um, just to make sure that I understood it. Like, what, what, what is he talking about, like, with, with life and biology? That, is he saying that, that consciousness is the expression of those things happening? I, I, I didn't quite... I think, I think he's uh, comparing the... That previously we had an understanding as humanity that life itself couldn't be explained through science or biology. But mm-hmm. then as those as those arenas progressed, we've been able to go so deep within that into, he talked about metabolism and all these different things. And so we can explain life mechanically in that way, right? Through biology. And so I think he's saying where we're moving with consciousness now is instead of this myth that no one can understand consciousness, that as we progress and go deeper into the study of it, that we will actually be able to, that, it, that the myth will dissolve, that we'll actually be able to understand it. That was it, my it, is he also saying that, that we are beginning to understand consciousness as a result of these mechanical processes and you don't have to get all wooey to think that it's this mystical, magical thing that science can't explain? I think that's, yeah, I, I think that's the point is that this isn't like something mystical or it, it's not, it doesn't have to be dressed in mysticism like it has for such a long, for forever, essentially, that okay. we can remember. All right, let's see if I can find the right spot where we were. Is it about right here? I think you're about there. The basic mystery of what life is started to fade away, and people didn't propose any more magical solutions, like a force of life or an élan vital. So as with life, so with consciousness. Once we start explaining its properties in terms of things happening inside brains and bodies, the apparently insoluble mystery of what consciousness is should start to fade away. Okay. At yeah. least that's, that's the plan. So let's get started. What are the properties of consciousness? What should a science of consciousness try to explain? Well, for today, I'd just like to think of consciousness in two different ways. There are experiences of the world around us, full of sight, sounds, and smells, this multi-sensory, panoramic, 3D, fully immersive inner movie. And then there's conscious self the specific experience of being you or being me, the lead character in this inner movie, and probably the aspect of consciousness we all cling to most tightly. Let's start with experiences of the world around us and with the important idea of the brain as a prediction engine. Now, imagine being a brain. You're locked inside a bony skull trying to figure what's out there in the world. There's no lights inside the skull. There's no sound either. All you've got to go on are streams of electrical impulses which are only indirectly related to things in the world, whatever they may be. So perception, figuring out what's there, has to be a process of informed guesswork in which the brain combines these sensory signals with its prior expectations or beliefs about the way the world is to form its best guess of what caused those signals. The brain doesn't hear sound or see light. What we perceive is its best guess of what's out there 
in the world. All right. What do you think about that? I, I, I think that kind of goes to what you were saying earlier, Brady, when you were talking about the, you know, light hitting the surface of the retina and the sound yeah. wave, things like that, that, that those things don't exist in the brain. What, like there's these electric impulses that are being sent as a result of that impact that's going in and that's stirring up the neurons or whatever's going on in there. And that's, what's generating this hallucination that we're seeing and hearing like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, in, in Buddhism, there's the term Nama and Rupa. Um, Rupa are, it's the sense objects, right? So it's, it's the senses that we have, um, the, that he's talking about and it's indirect sensory, perception right that's that's all created through electric electricity in our bodies to our brain essentially and then nama is is what our brains do and i think the best translation of it is naming we Hmm. we create objects out of the sensory input that that we create and our brains just they do this it's what human brains do um and most likely other animals and, and other things too. Uh, I don't know how far back, yeah. um, but, but essentially those are the two functions, right? We have this function of receiving the input and then we create the object out of that input that okay. we have. And so one of the practices is to actually differentiate that. Like in, in meditation, that's a practice that you can do is to hear a sound, but then be able to, distinguish between the hearing and the creation uh, like the imprint of the sound on on the mind essentially right and so it's kind of a practice of separating yourself from that um and and so i i've wondered after listening to this last night i wonder if this guy is a buddhist because of a number of the things that Mm. that he Mm. talks about in this sam harris talks about uh one of the questions that i think he was posed in an ama was you know how, when would you pinpoint consciousness kind of arising in human beings or whatever? And, and he pinpointed language because kind of building off what you were talking about, Brady is if without language, we, we have no way of constructing the objects and the sensations without processing it properly. You know, like we have a brain in our head, but without language, we don't really have a way of describing what that is without language. So I thought that was really interesting that Sam was essentially saying language was actually one of those big leap forwards into understanding what consciousness is or how it kind of shapes our world. Yeah. The development of consciousness and thinking about that, even like from all of us as babies originally, right. Without any language or any way to have that context. And what was that like? Just literally experiencing. Yeah. You're just absorbing yeah, you're just absorbing everything around you, essentially, right? It almost seems like it's a tool of unification. You know, like if, if you've just got all of these individual brains who are experiencing whatever they are subjectively experiencing, but they don't have a really a way to compare it against what other people are, are experiencing, that then with the advent of language, you've got words and you can go, this thing over here is a rock, this thing, it, you know, this is the air, this is, you know, that's blue. And then, and then it kind of brings people together where whatever they've, they, different things they're subjectively doing starts to be unified. So it, it, I don't know. I just a thought. That yeah. I, yeah. Uh, uh, 
a couple posts on that. There's a great wait, but why post on that. They're super long form, but it, it's really fantastic. If you go in like the development of humanity and, and from that point, and then also the book that you guys, um, I think you guys did a review on that of sapiens, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and sapiens goes through that too, that yeah. it was at the point when, humans could start to believe in stories that we could expand past how 250 or 150 people in a tribe or something like that because because of the unifying uh, ability of of those stories of those fictions to get people to cooperate to do things yeah because they're doing it in the name of god or they're doing it in the you know they're 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 putting a value on money with it it's really just a piece of paper but everybody agrees that this is ten dollars and it's worth this amount of labor in this constant you know whatever it's those agreed upon fictions that can move progress forward yeah all right let me give you a couple of examples of all this now you might have seen this illusion before but i'd like you to think about it in a new way if you look at those two patches a and b they should look to you to be very different shades of gray right but they are in fact exactly the same shade. And I can illustrate this if I put up a second version of the image here and join it, join the two patches with a gray colored bar. And you can see there's no difference. It's exactly the same shade of gray. And if you still don't believe me, I'll bring the bar across and join them up. It's a single colored block of gray. There's no difference at all. So this isn't any kind of magic trickery. It's the same shade of gray, but take it away again and it looks different. So what's happening here is that the brain is using its prior expectations built deeply into the circuits of the visual cortex that a cast shadow dims the appearance of a surface so that we see B as lighter than it really is. This is, this is so I watched this earlier tonight, Tom, and this is kind of what was in my head when, when I was looking at that video, and, and I think it was the... The, the, the African-American Muslims responding to the white kids in the hat, you know, and what, what was it that he just said here that your brain based on predetermined experience. Yeah. Then, yeah. Then colors the way that you're going to see this thing right. and how you're going to interpret this. So if they've had a lot of experience in the past where kids are really insensitive and rude and this, then, then they're going to see that because that's just what their brains programmed them to do. And they've actually had that experience and that's why it's happening. That, 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 I mean, it's a question, not really a statement. It's it's something that I'm wondering. You're probably right. But again, I, I, I have a visceral, visceral, visceral reaction to that because I feel like uh, you're allowing for some justification of that bad behavior. And I feel like people, there should be an element of responsibility on people, even if, even if they are, you know, deterministic, you know, they, you know, they have these patterns and, you know, the way that they were raised or, you know, whatever these preconceived notions are in their brain. I still feel, I still feel like there's got to be a level of responsibility within individuals. When, where, when, when does that responsibility stop and when does it end? In like a big domino effect of people I, impacting other people. Because, because in the situation that I described, Tom, there's injustice that's happening towards these people that you don't, you don't feel comfortable with because that's excusing the injustice that they're doing to the other people. But why is that injustice worth condemning, but the other one isn't I'm relevant? Not giving a pass. I'm not giving a pass on any. It's not either or. I'm not giving a pass on any of the injustices. 
I'm saying so, for everyone involved that everybody should have a level of responsibility in their bad behavior. Should, asked, but, but if, if, if our, if our, if our immediate reaction, like as we're sitting here and we're looking at this checkerboard thing, it's impossible. Even though he brought the thing over and he showed that they're actually the same color, it is impossible for me to see B as being just as dark as A is in that square. Wait, give it a minute though, Glenn. So take a second, really look at it. Don't look at either of the squares. Look at the white square in between the two. And kind of unfocus your eyes the way that you would with one of those 3D dot puzzles. No. I, I can see it. So I, 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 I appreciate question, you, I don't, I don't. I want to answer your question yeah. of where, where does the buck stop, essentially, right? On, on the injustice and, and the responsibility of that. And my answer to that is it stops with me. That's all, that's all I can really control. And sure. I'll encourage that for everyone else, too, to say... That, that hopefully all of us, with what we've experienced and gone through, with being able to question our own confirmation bias, that it stops with us, that it stops with you and you and you, every one of us on this call, anyone listening to this, that we say, okay, like I'm going to start taking responsibility for the injustices that, so a lot but, of but it. So does that mean, Brady, all of us. But Brady, does that mean then that you are okay with the way that things happened because you're not going to, you're not going to get no. outraged by any of it? No, because I'll also, I, we, on our, on our talk, you brought up like, um, the people suffering in like that don't have food that are starving to death right now. Am I okay with that? Just because I'm, I'm not there. I'm not experiencing it and no, and I should be doing more to speak out against it. Right. And Hopefully in time I will. And this is something that I'm more passionate about personally because I have more experience in dealing with this too in actually learning how to question my own biases. And so that's something that I, I do want to speak out against because I think it's a disease right now. And I think, like again, I think the vast majority of humanity is, is sick with the disease of, of this bias that we have the ideology that we're we're right everyone else is wrong and and so everyone else should listen to me and i'm not going to listen to anyone else That's um, weird. i think That's weird. i have a reaction sorry Britt. i have a reaction to yeah. you calling it a disease i because I, I just see it as forms of evolutionary tribalism that we're all stuck in we you know it yeah we but the the really good thing is is we can overcome it we can overcome our biases. We can overcome our preconceived notions. Our, a lot of this hardwiring, this from culture, from our child raising or whatever it is, we can overcome that. That's something that we should really be celebrating as human beings, that we have enough uh, ability, uh, control over our thoughts and behaviors that we can actually change things, even in the moment if needs be. And, and that's something that I think gets overlooked a lot because it's so easy to just say, well, you know, that person, if we look at their context and how they were raised, and that's why I have a reaction. Like I fucking did the work to uh, put myself in this position so that I can, you know, take a minute and say, I want to make sure that I'm doing things right. And if I make, a, if I make, a, uh, or if I do a bad behavior, I want to be held responsible for that so that I can 
make that wrong into a right, or at least, you know, apologize for it and, and work hard at it. And, and I don't feel like it's too big of a thing to expect other people to do the same thing. Cause if I'm actively working on myself, I feel like it's not too much to ask, Hey, can you guys do the same thing? Can you guys at least be trying to fix your bad behaviors? Cause that would be great. I mean, that's the only way we're going to be better culturally. And as humans, that's the only way we're going to get better is if we're keeping ourselves in check. Cause you're right, Brady, the only people that we really truly can control is ourselves. That's it. That's where the buck stops. But if we're, if we're not even doing that, you know, if, if the people around us aren't doing that, then I don't know, man, that's, that, that's why a lot of this is really, really discouraging too. the tribalism mentality. Yeah. You know, th- Glenn, thanks for inviting us, by the way. Oh, can you, hi, Don. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I had an interesting experience about six months ago. My husband is, uh, is Hispanic and, and we'd gone into target and, uh, and on our way out that, alarm had gone off you know that does when you take something out you shouldn't or whatever no and uh, and i just i just kept walking and turned to him and said we don't pay any attention let's just go and he said you can walk out of the store i walk out of the store and i'll get shot hmm. and 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 he was kidding and yet not also i mean it was it, and it it was one of those moments again where i've appreciated a lot of your episodes lately that make me look inside of myself and see these concepts inside of my head that mm-hmm. that I didn't know existed and this was one of those moments for me in which just our conception of the world and how it operates was was really different yeah no mm-hmm. thanks thanks for that yeah and and I, I think that 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 illustrates kind of what I was getting at Tom with the like like understanding when when somebody is conditioned by their environment. And this goes back to what you were saying, Brady, about the stimuli, you know, like there, there's all these different ways that it kind of conditions us to see things and interpret. Um, and, and I look at these squares on here, you know, I see a dark a and I see a light B, even though I know that they're the right color. And, and this is, I, I think a nice metaphor for what you were saying, Tom, is that, yeah, we should all be able to see those two colors as the right way. And Brady told me, all you have to do is look at this white thing and take your eyes out of focus. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to do the work. I, I'm not interested in doing that. I want to move on. <laughs> so like, what, what, a, what a nice metaphor that is for these other things, you know, the, that you're saying, Tom, I, I want other people to do that work, you know, and if they're not doing that work, I'm going to be a little frustrated by it. The hard thing is that it's, it is work. Yeah. Like, if you don't work at it, it, it is not a natural thing. I I don't think anyone would naturally come that way unless, unless your parents train you to be that way or something. Right. But, but ultimately it is work to deconstruct our mental constructs, Mm -hmm. the things that we have inherited. I inherited Mormonism, right. Yeah. Right. Um, From a multiple line, and a, li- a line I, of liars a li- in in a way yes but I, i'm still a liar too because i'm not sure. saying i'm enlightened right i'm not right. i'm not claiming anything like that i i still believe in lies and i know that but i want to find out what they are mm-hmm. so i pay attention and i focus on broadening my awareness to these things and so i love hearing the story that you shared about about your husband don um and just that those things are passed on to us. And, and not only that, but we're raised that way from our experiences. It creates 
the way that we we perceive things but until we decide that i want to do this work i i want to understand my mind more and the way that i view the world it, it just doesn't happen naturally and it's work and people don't like to work yeah. <laughs> and 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 I think one of the reasons that I was I was getting a little uncomfortable with what, what what's his name Tom Matt Christensen what what yeah. that blogger like his approach is that like I, I'm I'm on the same page as far as like condemning and I say that in air quotes because you know what but but condemning the outrage and you, you know like responding without getting all the facts and you know all, all that. But at the same time, I don't want to sweep away the causes that those things are there on either side because of those experiences that Don talked about with, with his husband, because I don't want those things to be forgotten because it, that, that is a minority experience for most people in this country. And when those things get, get swept away, the, you know, that you have these people that are in, in this constant pain because they don't fit. And we were in the minority in the church when we didn't fit, you know? And, uh, and, and so like, let's find that happy medium where we can say, yeah, let's, let's pull it back, but not to the point that we're dismissing. Right. What, what's, what's going on here? Well, yeah. And it's not, it's not an either or mentality that either, you know, I, yeah, you don't have to dismiss the one in order to embrace the other. I, yeah. I, I definitely think it's a happy balance, yeah. but, um, Going back to this example, and you were saying that it was impossible to see the shades, and it's and even what Brady was saying is it takes work for us to do it. Yes, it does, but I think it takes it takes less work, at least to get the ball rolling, than what people might realize. I think mm-hmm. if you realize, even from just this example that's on the screen right now, if you realize that you literally have blind spots, even in your right. own eyes, yeah. even in your own mind. You have blind spots that are there. Just like when you're driving, you're like, I've got to check this blind spot because there could be a car there. And you're trained early on to look there because even if your eyes are deceiving you, like, I guess I still have to turn my head to look because you know that blind spot's there. And if you know that blind spot's there, that kid, it puts you at such a huge advantage. And if you have critical thinking skills already in place with the knowing that there's blind spots, dude, you are already... You've already done so much of the work and then so many of the pieces are going to start to fall into place. And to me, it's like, you know, then you're already on the right path Mm. because if no blind spots are there and you're institutionalizing critical thinking skills, dude, you know, you're gold. Well, if, if you just keep those two things up as practices, right, that I want to be aware of my blind spots and then I want to check my blind spots often, like, you'll be good. <laughs> like, you'll probably turn out all right. You know? and, and surround myself with people who will help me check my blind spots instead of just people who help reinforce <laughs> what I already think I'm right about. <laughs> all right, let's go back to this. Here's one more example, which shows just how quickly the brain can use new predictions to change what we consciously experience. Have a listen to this. Sounded strange, right? Have a listen again and see if you can get anything. Still strange. Now listen to this. I think Brexit is a really terrible idea. (laughs) Which I do. Um, So you heard some words there, right? Now listen to the first sound again. I'm just going to replay it. Yeah? So you can now hear words there. Once more for luck. 
Okay, so what's going on here is, is the remarkable thing is the sensory information coming into the brain hasn't changed at all. All that's changed is your brain's best guess of the causes of that sensory information, and that changes what you consciously hear. And, and, and I think that that... That is really interesting, again, when we're juxtaposing it against this, uh, this incident in Washington, D.C., where there's this commotion that could just be a wah, 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 unless you come into it with these expectations of what's going on. And then this wah, 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 wah turns into build a wall, build a wall, <laughs> you know, or like what, whatever the, triggered the outrage, it's really a reflection of what you're, we're, we're programming each other to hear and to interpret in this commotion that, that that's happening out. I don't know. I think that's, that's interesting. Now, all this puts the brain basis of perception in a bit of a different light. Instead of perception depending largely on signals coming into the brain from the outside world, it depends as much, if not more, on perceptual predictions flowing in the opposite direction. We don't just passively perceive the world, we actively generate it. The world we experience comes as much, if not more, from the inside out as from the outside in. Oh, gosh. Oh, shit. I just remembered a Sunday school lesson that I think, <laughs> that, I, that I know I've mocked before, but probably is being borne out by this. Did, did any of you guys have this where they would take like a, 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 an empty toilet paper roll and put in like pure white cotton balls and then take like dirty cotton balls and push those in. They said, this is your brain. And when you like fill it with rated R movies and you know, all this other stuff, then you end up getting this. And then that, that colors and shapes what you, you actually see of the world. I think that's kind of what he's saying there. So I agree. Um, and another, so I've been, the last few months I've been digging deeper on Buddhism because I've never like taken the plunge and like studied it. And so that's why it's on my mind more. But um, one of the things that really shifted the way I see the world. So my arrow out of my mind is this concept called selective watering. And um, I learned about it from the book, you are here by Thich Nhat Hanh. And um, essentially what it is, he's talking about like our subconscious mind and our conscious mind. And he uses the term, our subconscious mind is like the ground that, that we have all these different seeds. We have seeds of anger. We have seeds of joy, love, peace, seeds of jealousy and envy and all these different seeds that are in our store consciousness, he calls it. And then when something comes in, when the input comes in, it will trigger one of those seeds to come up into our consciousness. And whether we entertain that in our conscious mind will determine whether that grows more. So if I entertain anger, if someone makes me angry, it's just an input coming in. I don't have to become angry because of that input, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I naturally do because it's my reaction. But when it comes up, if instead of feeding that anger by getting angry, yelling, starting a fight, going deeper and deeper into it, that will feed the seed of anger and that seed will become stronger and will grow more in my mental garden. Mm. Where if instead I invite mindfulness up when, when that seed is pulled into my consciousness, then I can choose instead to, he uses really great language of 
kind of like holding our our the the pains and the suffering that we have holding it and giving it love and bringing love up and saying it's okay and then very quickly that seed of anger will go back into the store consciousness and it loses a lot of power mm-hmm. in in my reality in my mind right and i've been practicing that for 8 months and I cannot, like, I don't think there's been another thing that I've practiced that has changed me more than anything else, because mm. just like that visual clicked with me mm. and, and it helped me to really understand instead of saying, putting the bad cotton balls in and other stuff, it's like, that didn't work for me because it mm-hmm. just didn't make sense. And I wasn't really like an active part in it where this, it's a very active participatory experience for me, yeah. choosing what I'm watering in my mind. Yeah. And, and, and they also call clean cotton balls dirty and dirty cotton balls clean sometimes. And it gets really confusing with that. <laughs> right, Don? <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Uh, sometimes I, that happens. You know, I, I think it's so interesting. Uh, the perception, you, both you and Tom, I think, are a little farther along in your journey out than I am. And so <laughs> I, I, still, uh, I still have those moments uh, where it's, uh, it's surprising to me the way in which I perceive the world and events now versus where I was five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, that I would have seen it in a really different light. Just to reinforce what, what, what you were saying there and what the TED Talk was saying, there's just this filter that you put things through brings you to different conclusions. Yeah. Being outside of the church and viewing the world in a more accepting light changes a lot of what I perceive, not just a small amount of a, a huge amount. And, and Tom, you know, uh, listen to that podcast the other day that was from way back Mormon expressions and, and listening to you now versus back in those days, it, it's again, that, that real contrast of the way in which you're perceiving the same things being said, just with different filters. Yeah, that was a lot. That was probably like eight or nine years ago. I would hope I that I've evolved since then. I hope, <laughs> in fact, I, I hope I'm a much better person five, ten years from now. So, yeah, yeah. cool. Give you one more I, example I of perception, then oh. just with different filters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As this active, constructive process. In this, in here, we've combined immersive virtual reality with image processing to simulate the effects of overly strong perceptual predictions on experience. In this panoramic video, we've transform the world, which is in this case Sussex campus, into a psychedelic playground. We've processed the footage using an algorithm based on Google's Deep Dream to simulate the effects of overly strong perceptual predictions, in this case to see dogs. And you can see this is a very strange thing. When perceptual predictions are too strong, as they are here, the result looks very much like the kinds of hallucinations people might report in altered states or perhaps even in psychosis. And, and I, I mean, I, I hate to be the dead horse or dog, but the, w- w- one of the things that the church does is it, it always reinforces that, that Mormons are good and non-Mormons are bad. You know, I don't think it means to do that, but, you know, coffee, somebody who drinks coffee. I remember being a little kid, seeing my, my elementary school teacher drinking coffee and thinking, oh, she's a bad person because of it. Like, how is that any different Get, be, being told that kind of stuff all the time. How is that any different than what they're talking about pre-programming these predictions, the way that you expect to see the world, and then you actually see it in the faces of these dogs that pop out here. You, you start seeing it all around you. Isn't that what confirmation bias is? It fuels all that stuff. Um, 
uh, I, I sold security systems for a few years and I could not drive through a neighborhood without seeing every damn security sign yeah, right. and thinking about it because that's what I was looking for, yeah. right? On yeah. a day-to-day basis. So what the way we perceive the world is what we see as well, right? So it does create that in a lot yeah. of ways. And, and, and the role that, that the culture that we are immersed in and immerse ourselves in um, influences the way that we end up seeing the world. Now think about this for a minute. If, if hallucination is a kind of uncontrolled perception, then perception right here and right now is also a kind of hallucination, but a controlled hallucination in which the brain's predictions are being reined in by sensory information from the world. In fact, we're all hallucinating all the time, including right now. It's just that when we agree about our hallucinations, we call that reality. <laughs> Tom, you, I'm just gonna rolled your, you just rolled your eyes. You don't like that? No, it was super clever. Yeah, that's fine. So, <laughs> I mean, the controlled hallucination hit me more this time, that, that idea, because ultimately our brains have evolved to control the perceptions like the sensory information we're receiving we see it in a way that humans see things or hear things or do things and and the same way that we can't understand how a fly really sees or a dog really sees because we've never seen it through their sensory input and the way that their brains have evolved to see the hallucination of reality essentially right so it, it hit me a little bit more this time as something to ponder i think search ponder and pray about it you know <laughs> and, and i i wonder if the way that he's using hallucination is kind of like the way that you use lie brady where uh, that that he doesn't mean by hallucination that it isn't real just like by lie you don't mean that it's necessarily bad um but but that the the act of the construction of the reality is a hallucination uh, it, it it's just the way that we're interpreting all the sensory data that's that's around yeah. us um, yeah, I think projection, you know, uh, something like that. That your experience of being a self, the specific experience of being you, is also a controlled hallucination generated by the brain. Now, this seems a very strange idea, right? Yes, visual illusions might deceive my eyes, but how could I be deceived about what it means to be me? For most of us, the experience of being a person is so familiar, so unified, and so continuous that it's difficult not to take it for granted. But we shouldn't take it for granted. There are, in fact, many different ways we experience being a self. There's the experience of having a body and of being a body. There are experiences of perceiving the world from a first-person point of view. There are experiences of intending to do things and of being the cause of things that happen in the world. And there are experiences of being a continuous and distinctive person over time, built from a rich set of memories and social interactions. Now, many experiments show, and psychiatrists and neurologists know very well, that these different ways in which we experience being a self can all come apart. And what this means is the basic background experience of being a unified self is a rather fragile construction of the brain, another experience which, just like all others, requires explanation. So let's return to the bodily self. How does the brain generate the experience of being a body and of having a body? Well, just the same principles apply. The brain makes its best guess about what is and what is not part of its body. And there's a 
beautiful experiment in neuroscience to illustrate this. And unlike most neuroscience experiments, this is one you can do at home. All you need is one of these and a couple of paintbrushes. Now, in the rubber hand illusion, a person's real hand is hidden from view, and that fake rubber hand is placed in front of them. Then both hands are simultaneously stroked with a paintbrush while the person stares at the fake hand. Now, for most people, after a while, this leads to the very uncanny sensation that the fake hand is, in fact, part of their body. And the idea is that the congruence between seeing touch and feeling touch on an object that looks like a hand and is roughly where a hand should be is enough evidence for the brain to make its best guess that the fake hand is, in fact, part of the body. All right. So eventually, people will be listening to this without being able to see what happened. <laughs> but but somebody came along with the fork and stabbed the the rubber hand, and because the the, the person had been made to think that the rubber hand was like his own because he was feeling the paintbrush stroking on his real hand, but we couldn't see it while he was looking at the other one. He thought that you know he he reacted as if this was his real thing. Th this idea really really interests me. Um, and I feel like I'm losing you, Tom. <laughs> I, yeah. feel, I feel like you're getting bored with this. <laughs> it's not bored. It's, it's just like he, he seems to be belaboring the point that our minds can be tricked. Yeah, I got it, man. Like with any, with any number of things, our minds and our perceptions can be manipulated and tricked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're ready to move on to the next thing? I mean, you cut my video short. Why can't I cut your video short? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can, we can stop it here. Ultimately, so what you were saying, Tom, is our mind can be tricked. And I think our mind is tricking all the time too, right? Yeah. Like in that same sense. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I, that I find really interesting here, and I, I'm going to try to say this in a quick way. I'm not usually very good at it. But, um, but, but Brady, when you were talking before about the way that light hits our eye and then that comes into our brain, right? That, that light is at certain frequencies and we know that there's other frequencies out there that our retinas have not evolved to see. And so we've created tech technology that, that allows us to read that and then translate that into a way that it can get to our brain. So in a sense... Our technology that we create is an extension of our own minds. And what we're doing is we're increasing the sensitivity of our minds to be aware of the environment outside of us. And that the technology that does that is similar to me to this rubber hand, where we can start to identify with the technology as if it is actually an extension of ourself. And I, I think we're seeing that with social media. I think we're seeing that with other things where we're... Like, where does the external body actually stop, or at least the perception as our minds are tricking us? If we're watching a television show or we're watching a movie and we're empathizing with the characters that we see on the screen, do we feel like they are an extension of ourselves? And when something awful happens to them, do we feel like something awful is happening to us? And is that the same type of thing that we see in this rubber hand experiment? Um, so and that's, 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 that's just interesting. The, yeah. 
that's one of the things about our minds too, is that we, we do that with tools all the time. I, I haven't ever thought about it as far as like social media being an extension in that way. And that's something to, to think about, but even like a pen, if I take this pen and I touch, I, I can get a sense just from the pen touching my desk right here, how hard the desk is. I can get a sense of its texture. Same thing when you're driving a car, our, our minds extend themselves into the tools that, that we are using and, yeah. and taking advantage of in that way. They actually become a part of our self in the time that, that we're using them because we're, we're able to extend our consciousness through those tools. And it's one is, of the strengths of being human, honestly. And, and isn't that also how we got our hands in the first place, the real ones, not the rubber ones, but through this very, very long, slow, organic process of evolution where we were e- extending out from our nervous system <laughs> to be able to sense and experience things in the world. And now we're speeding it up so quickly with the technology that we're able to do. It's just, it's just a, such an interesting uh, way of looking at it for me. So have any, have any of you guys tried VR? I have. Yeah. 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 So I, I mean, in this last year, I, I, I've been messing around with VR quite extensively and, and I was playing one games called Lone Echo where you're in space and you know, it's anti-gravity and all that stuff. And after playing it for like 20, 30 minutes, I had full on legit motion sickness. Yeah. I had to sit down. The room was spinning everything. I was like, that was my first hand experience of man. My, <laughs> my mind was really tricked and it didn't matter how many times my wife came in and said, you never, you're fine. You're not in space. You're not, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, it was a trip. So, yeah. So, so how do we know that we're not living in a simulation, Tom? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Unless, unless Morpheus gives us a red or blue pill. Right, right. I rewatched The Matrix like two weeks ago, and I was just like, this is so incredible. <laughs> I see. This is reality. Wait, did you watch it high, though? Because that's what it sounds like. You're like, this is amazing. I may have. I, I may have. I saw him. I, I waved at him last year at, at a... Keanu? No, 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 no. Um, what's the actor's Morpheus? name? Morpheus? Oh. Yeah. Lawrence Fishman. Yeah, yeah, Lawrence. Not yeah. Sam Jackson. I saw him just, outside. Just remember it's not Sam Jackson. You'll waiting. be okay. <laughs> we were both waiting for a car. He, he, my Toyota Tacoma showed up and his Tesla showed up. So there's a little disparity there in the vehicles <laughs> we were driving. But I did wave at him and he waved back. It wasn't quite a red or blue pill experience, but that's pretty close. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Well, we can, we can be done. It's, it's 10 o'clock. It's late. Um, so it's been an interesting conversation. Did you figure it out? Figure out what? The consciousness, uh, blind spots, uh, manipulation. Uh, what, What else did we cover? We had to have figured it all out now, right? I mean, that's the whole point of having these conversations. <laughs> to figure it out? <laughs> there's got to be a beginning of the episode, and then there's an end where we can just wrap everything up, tie up all these loose ends. Uh, all you guys that are not self-aware, now that you're in the, at the end of the episode, now you are. So congratulations on that. Um, you can start correcting your bad behavior. and Yeah, right? Isn't that what we're saying? <laughs> that sounds really <laughs> cynical, Tom. I think I need to sigh at that. <laughs> I would appreciate that actually. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I don't know. Why why do you do this, Tom? Why do I do what? 
podcast have these kinds of conversations yeah i don't care i don't care whether we podcast or not i just love these conversations that's right what it, yeah, I, yeah. I just I like, I like to bounce ideas i like to hear different perspectives yeah um, and i like to uh i don't know educate myself on stuff like that because we're not going to learn anything if we're not ingesting other people's thoughts and their journeys and where they're coming from and their context if we're not it's very cannibalistic yeah, very cannibalistic. Yeah. Great, great term. Ugh. All right. So, yeah, I, uh, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, I just like having these conversations because I feel like I'm a better person for it. Yeah. That's it. Cool. Amen. I can right. give an amen to that. Well, that's why uh, to so many of your guys' conversations. Well, and, and it, this was kind of, you know, just like having this like impromptu little, Hey, let's have a conversation inviting people on. I'm glad you guys were able to join us and, and listen in. I, I hope it was enjoyable. And thanks Don for, for joining in and, and uh, yeah, awesome. we'll, we'll, we'll do more like this. It's kind of fun. Can I ask you a quick question, Glenn? Sure. Yeah. Hey Mike. I was, I was kind of curious uh, what your, your thought process is with those of us who are watching. Um, you know, I, are you wanting participation from us? Are you wanting us? I know sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts and people jump in that aren't part of the regular podcast, it's like, you know, you're not who I, I tuned in for. Right. So what are you mm-hmm. looking for? I, you want to have participation or you kind of want to keep it just a, a spectator kind of thing? What are you looking for? I, I, I echo what Tom said. You know, I, I like the interaction. I, I, I like the uh, bouncing ideas off of people like, I'm a dolphin and it's sonar and then it bounces back at me, you know, and, uh, see what becomes of it. So I, I, I don't, I, I think, I think maybe earlier on with podcasting, I had more of a set expectation of what I wanted an episode to be or, um, something now I'm just really interested in having these kinds of conversations that interest me with people that are also interested in the same types of things. So, um, I, you know, some, some people just want to sit and, and listen and think about it and other people want to jump in and, uh, I'm cool with, I'm cool with whatever you guys want to do. Well, it's kind of surreal. It's a weird experience. I like, I have this friendship <laughs> with you guys that you guys don't have with me, you know what I mean? And so, yeah. you know, especially Glenn and Tom, I, you know, I've listened to you guys since back in the Mormon expression days. I, I have this like relationship with you. So it's, it's a weird one-sided thing that I don't know quite how to, to yeah. deal with it. Well, it doesn't I mean, have to, it doesn't have to be a, just a one-sided thing. You know, that, <laughs> that's how, that's how I felt about uh, the first time I did a Mormon expression episode that Tom was on. Like, yeah. I've been listening to you. You're a rock star. And he's like, would you shut up? Like, no man, you're a rock star. Like, shut up. And, th- and that's just, what we've been doing ever since. Just like being famous people. <laughs> Jeez, <dude. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, good stuff. I, I'd like to jump on more of these. So I just thought I'd, I'd clarify for the future if you wanted sure. participation. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. I, I appreciate that, Mike. And I appreciate all you guys joining in. It's, it's fun. I mean, it, in a weird sort of way, it kind of feels voyeuristic. So I'm glad I put some clothes on before we got in, but <laughs> it was, it was yeah, like, I was wondering why you did. Yeah, was, I know. It was, it was so out. <laughs> normally I've got the mic out my, my junk and I'm like, Hey, is yeah. okay for podcast like this? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Night, guys. Yeah, thanks. Good night. Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. Pools of sorrow, waves of 
Possessing them Caressing me Jackaroo Except for maybe me and my perceptions of the world. Because what Anil Seth was saying was that we actually create our world. It's kind of a weird question, right? Is that a woo-woo question where you go down the path of the secret and, okay, I'm going to create my own reality and it's this magical, mystical thing. No, this is a scientist that's talking about this. And he's giving really good explanations as to what that actually means, how you create and change your own world. John Lennon was wrong? I'm gonna have like a John Lennon faith crisis now? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Except for maybe me. Nothing's gonna change my world. Nothing's gonna change my world. Undying love which shines around me like a million suns It calls me on and on across the universe Jackaroodeva Oh, nothing's gonna change my world Nothing's gonna change my world